Hi, I'm David. I'm Doug. And we are Beyond Hungry. So, Doug, tell us who we have a privilege of chatting with today. Uh, we are going to talk to Sammy Mila. She is a culinary specialist and food stylist here in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, we really wanted to talk to her today because uh, she has an interesting perspective as, as someone who has a hard science background. Uh, mm -hmm. And so she knows a lot about food, how it works together, how cooking changes it uh, and what goes into that and really helps people, helps those recipes, you know, uh, work for people and also has a hand in the beautiful images that are created for those magazines or, you know, when you see them online that I think really elicit a strong hunger response. I mean, I don't know, like sometimes <laughs> I see an image online on Instagram or in a magazine. I'm just like, oh, man, I want that just because I oh, look totally. at it. Totally. And I think that's that's so cool and it's really powerful to be able to do that and to have that kind of skill and to be able to combine those skills so i'm let's should we get into it let's go hi friends i'm sammy mila culinary specialist and food stylist here in des moines iowa um i have worked for many brands ranging from Better Homes and Gardens, All Recipes, Eating Well, Diabetic Living. And I do things like social food videos that go from a hosted series to hands-only series. And I also do a lot of fun food photography for magazines. For anyone who doesn't know what a culinary specialist or food stylist is, can you kind of tell us a little bit more about like what that really means? Yeah, definitely. Um, they kind of go hand in hand, but not everybody can say they're both, which makes me a little interesting. You're a unicorn? <laughs> uh, yes, I like to think so. <laughs> um, so um, I'm a culinary specialist in that I have worked in the Better Homes and Gardens test kitchen for a few years. And we develop recipes, we edit recipes, we just make them better, make them more approachable. And we kind of get down to the nitty gritty of recipes and we break things mm -hmm. down to certain weights and sizes and cooking times. And we just got to make sure that like whoever gets their hands on this recipe and wants to try it, that regardless of if they have a gas oven or an electric one or an induction one, that everything is going to work okay. Mm, okay. So then on the flip side of things, I kind of took all that experience and started making it pretty for a lack of better words. Took everything I learned about the differences between a gas and an electric and an induction, applied it to food photography and kind of used my experience to make the recipe as pretty as possible, basically. How much extra is that? It's quite a bit and it's using different parts of your brain, which is it's kind of fun and kind of stressful at the same time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let's say if I were to make a chicken salad that had apples in it, throwing this out there, usually the recipe would be like, oh, I'm going to call for two apples chopped. Mm -hmm. So as a culinary specialist, I would take two apples. I'd get the type of apple. Um, I would get the weight and how big I chopped it. And then the overall volume after that. Mm -hmm. As a food stylist, I would probably get like three or four apples. <laughs> I would cut it in a certain way so that every piece has a little bit of the skin, just so that when you stir oh. it all together, you can see it from every angle and adds a little bit more color. 
So technically, if I get two cups from two apples, as a food stylist, I would still get two cups from four apples, but I would only use the parts with the skin. Does that make right. sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, that, I mean, that's a really good example. I've never really thought about it that way, but that, that makes a lot of sense. When it comes to food photography, do you use any, is it all natural or do you use like those motor oil stuff or like any like neat tricks that people assume that, that like all food photography is? Oh, I absolutely love this question when I get it. Um, so if I'm shooting for a magazine or a publication or a brand and I'm trying to represent a recipe, every piece of that recipe has to be authentic. Again, if I have a recipe for this chicken salad that we spoke of earlier, like the apples have to be real, the chicken, the mayonnaise, the vinegar, whatever else goes in, it has to be real because every Mm -hmm. component of the recipe I'm trying to represent needs to be real. But if I were to do food photography for a certain item, let's use cereal because that seems to be a very common example. If I'm shooting for this certain brand of cereal, I have to make sure that the cereal itself is real. So Mm -hmm. if it's like, I have to get four boxes of cereal, dump them all out and sort them out to make sure like I have all the ones that are not broken and all even sizes (laughs) and stuff like that. And then like the milk that I show the cereal with does not have to be real because I'm not trying to represent the milk. I'm just representing the cereal. Got it. Hmm. All right. That's fascinating. What would you say is the difference between like a home kitchen and a test kitchen? For the test kitchen, we usually say when it comes to, you know, testing recipes and making recipes, we always commonly say that we make the mistakes so the home cook doesn't have to. <laughs> I like that. So like, we'll take the recipe and we kind of have to think about it in a home perspective. And it's just like, oh, this recipe calls for vanilla bean or vanilla bean paste. It's kind of hard to find. So as a yeah. home cook, like, could I use just regular vanilla extract? So then us as a test kitchen would test that and see what the differences are and just be like, yeah, you can definitely use vanilla extract. Just don't use as much or maybe you have to use more. And it's just like it's these common mistakes, quote unquote, that we think people would make. We make purposely for them and then tell them what they should and shouldn't do and what works and what doesn't. Nice. So it's kind of like a whole edible series of trial and error. Okay. So d- does that mean you get to like eat a lot of trial and error? Yes. Oh gosh. <laughs> All the time. Speaking of testing, how different is it now with like the whole COVID it comes to like the whole process of, of creating a recipe or getting ingredients? Like how has that changed for you? Oh my gosh. It's, it's different. That's for sure. Um, there's a lot of change that's had to happen it's not necessarily all bad change though. We've definitely become more efficient, which is Mm -hmm. great. Our ordering our groceries a lot more. And so then it's just a quick like run and pick up the groceries as opposed to, you know, sending a shopper out to go and physically grocery shop. I mean, we Mm -hmm. still have to do that, especially for like produce or proteins that we know we need to look very pretty. Mm -hmm. But for the general stuff, it's, oh, we'll just, order it and pick it up. And then we'll just sort it when we get back to the office. So that's definitely helped our process a little more. Um, As for testing though, nobody's really testing in the test kitchen right now, just for safety's sake. Everyone kind of just swings by, picks up the groceries for their set recipes, and then just test at home. 
Mm. Okay. It's kind of nice because then it's like, well, I'm going to test a breakfast item, a lunch item, a dinner item, and a dessert. And then I have my whole day planned. <laughs> it's just a little feast at Sammy's, huh? Yeah. It's kind of great. Um, I will say the one thing I do miss is how collaborative it used to be mm. with our taste panels and everything. We would kind of sit down and be like, oh, it'd be great to serve this with pasta as opposed to rice, or let's switch from chicken to pork. And we don't really get that as much anymore just mm-hmm. because COVID. But what about the photo shoots? The photo shoots, we're definitely doing things a lot different. We have to wear masks. There's no questions about that. Everyone is kind of like before it was everyone in one space kind of working together. But now it's like the prop stylist will go in, set the shot up and step out. I'll come in with the food, set set everything up and step out. Photographer comes in, checks focus, checks framing, steps out. And it's just very like one in, one out, one in, one out, one in, one out. So it's, we're doing the best we can with, you know, everything that's going on, but it's just, it's not the same. I don't know if Mm -hmm. it's going to be the same for a while, but we're making it happen. That's good. What was your journey like coming to be a culinary specialist and food stylist? Is, Is that something that you knew you wanted to be like when you were a kid? Oh my gosh, no, not at all. <laughs> what did you want to be as a kid? I knew I knew from the start when I was a small Sam, I really wanted <laughs> to like help people or like impact people in some kind of way. And so I really, really wanted to do something kind of more in the medical field. Mm-hmm. So after middle school and high school, I started Iowa State in 2008, fall of 2008, and mm-hmm. I went in with a major in biochemistry. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to dive in this whole ocean of just like cancer research and disease. And like, I'm going to change people's lives. I'm going to save the world. And uh, a few weeks into that, while we we're doing like intro classes and stuff, I very, very quickly learned that biochem was definitely more of an interest, not a passion. And uh, I felt kind of bad because a lot of the other students in bio with a biochem major around me were kind of very heartfelt. And it was like, oh, I lost my grandma to cancer. My uncle has some kind of disease and I want to learn more about it. So maybe help others with the same disease. And I'm just over here like, oh man, I just thought it was so cool. And <laughs> then I just kind of faded into the background. Like maybe this isn't for me. <laughs> so from biochem, I went to dietetics because I love chemistry and mm-hmm. I love science. And I was like, well, dietetics is kind of cool because it's kind of like how certain foods impact the body. And mm-hmm. that's keeping me kind of in my science background that I like. But then it started getting really negative in my opinion, because it's like, I'm definitely helping people, but it also makes me sad because I'm pretty much telling them everything they can and can't eat. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, oh, if cinnamon rolls are your favorite thing in the world and all of a sudden you have celiac disease and I'm telling you like, you can't eat them anymore because it's gluten. It's like mm. kind of sad. So I was like, this is the right direction. I think food is where it's at just because it's relatable. Everybody has a story about it. Everybody's familiar with it. Mm-hmm. I don't think dietetics is for me. So then I accidentally stumbled upon culinary science, which is like the Alton Brown of degrees. So <laughs> we talk about not necessarily the science of the ingredient, or how to cook it. It's kind of the difference between food science versus um, culinary arts. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You kind of meet in the middle and talk a little bit more about why you cook things in certain ways. Mm-hmm. So it's like why we would boil this versus grilling this, you know, sous vide versus slow cooker versus Instapot and mm-hmm. the science of how the food reacts in different ways. And I was like, this is super interesting. There's still a lot of chemistry in there that I love. And I get to eat it all, which is great. <laughs> So then that's kind of how I, I started down this path of culinary science. Now, were you always into food, like growing up? Not really. It was an everyday thing that was just there. I've always been kind of adventurous and I'll always like, I'll try anything once, but it never, it never spoke to me, quote unquote. It was nothing I knew that I was going to make a career out of. Mm-hmm. Now, did your parents cook a lot? Give us a little deep into little Sammy's life. Yeah. So back when I was a small Sam, my parents came to the States, my dad in 79, my mom in 80. And, um, you know, we always hear about these stories of first generation Asian Americans having, you know, their kids have to take something funky to lunch during school and stuff like that. But I never grew up with that. I always had the turkey sandwiches. I always had the Lunchables or like those frozen penguin something and other meals that like the corn got in my brownie, but the brownie got in the mac and cheese, but it's all going in the same place. (laughs) That's all little Doug wanted as a kid. And so it's like, I never, I never had that as a growing up. So it was just all very like, very generic kind of basic food for me probably why it never really impacted me when I was smaller. Are you telling me turkey sandwich was was for dinner as well? That kind of thing? Yeah, if I got one flavor at lunch, I'd get another flavor at dinner. <laughs> okay, all right. Did you have like any answer like cousins or uncles? My dad is one of three and my mom is one of seven. So our family is pretty big. Um, I am an only child, but we grew up very tight-knit. And so we would have those like, weekend barbecues those sunday dinners and everyone would come together and that's when more of traditional foods would come out whether it's like pho or lop or you know anything like that and it was just to me it was just so one of those like that's old people food you know (laughs) you know whatever and it's just like it's not that i rather like liked it or not liked it it was just one of those things where it was always there never appreciated it as much as I do now. Is there, did you talk to your parents about the reason why they wanted to make it easier for you to be assimilate and to fit in? I know a lot of the reason for it was because they wanted me to blend in and they kind of didn't want me to bring attention to myself by any means. And it same goes for them. You know, they work so hard to, you know, come up all the way across the world to start a new life. And so they just wanted it to the transition and the assimilation to be as smooth as possible. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to go to work. They wanted to come home, keep their head down, do a good job and mind their own business. And I mm-hmm. think they kind of forced that upon me also by not letting me take, you know, the quote unquote weird foods to school. Right. I guess, how do they feel uh, about you now as someone who's like right in front of the camera telling people, how they can cook things and, and and really educate you. Like you're on YouTube, you represent a number of good, you know, really, really mainstream household name brands. Growing up, my dad has always pushed for me to be the best that I could be. Mm-hmm. 
So it's like, kudos to him for pushing me, but not pushing me in any direction. Right. He's just kind of like, I'm pushing you to be the best you can be, but whatever you choose to do is on you, you know? And it's just kind of like, you're in this place and you have all these opportunities that a lot of people don't have. So make the most of it and be the best you can. And my mom was always the one to be like, you should be a doctor (laughs) (laughs) or like a lawyer or, Mm -hmm. you know, one of those stereotypical things. And I think that was part of the reason why I kind of wanted to go into cancer research. Mm -hmm. But once I told my mom I was switching majors and I was going to be a culinary scientist, it was just, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, mom. I know what I'm doing. Like, this is it. I know this is it. What do you mean? This is, you never talked about this. What is this? I don't even know what this is. It was one of those, like, I got this, mom. Don't worry. Like, you'll just see. It was a harder transition for her, but now that I'm kind of in the thick of it and it's been seven years since I graduated and she's just kind of like, look, that's my daughter. Look at <laughs> And I'm just like. I love that. That's good. Well, it's like, it was uphill battle at first, but I have. I have her support now and that's right. all I can ask for. No, that, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. I think, I think my mom uh, still will call me every once in a while, just wondering if maybe I might want to switch majors and go to law school <laughs> or become a doctor or something. I'm like, I think it's a little late for that, but she's, she's still holding out hope. Yeah. I don't think my parents know exactly what I do. Yeah. They, I don't think they understand what I do either. I mean, th- your parents are supportive, but would you say like, even your dad, do you feel like he understands what you do? I mean, on a very, very shallow level, yes. He knows that, like, I work in food and I am kind of teaching people how to cook or showing them how to do things and stuff like that. It's maybe not as, like, deep or impactful as he may have thought, but, I mean, I think he sees that I'm happy and he sees that, like, Uh I'm impacting people in a small way. So, it's you know, it's not too bad. And where are your parents from? My dad is from Thailand and my mom is from Laos. Okay. And then you were born and raised here in Des Moines? Yep. And I have been a southeast side of Des Moines my whole life. Like I said, my my dad is one of three and his older brother lives here on the south side where his younger sister lives in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom is one of seven and everybody lives on the south side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. As someone who's lived on the South Side for a long time, to someone like myself who has never really ventured that much down there, like what what should I know about the South Side? What are the sort of ignored great things about there that that I should know about, that I should pay more attention to? Um, we have a lot of hidden gems on the South Side, and sometimes they don't stay on the South Side, which is totally fine. <laughs> but it's like we have frozen custards. Right mm-hmm. nearby my house. That place is amazing. Their serving sizes are huge. And it's everything you would ever want on a hot summer day. <laughs> We've got a couple really good Asian restaurants here on the south side. We have some killer Mexican restaurants. I think Everest is another restaurant deep in the oh, south yeah. side. That's yeah. our, I think Nepalese food. And mm-hmm. they've been there a couple of times. Super, super good. The owners are so sweet. Um, Katmandu has gained a lot of popularity and they started on the South side. Yes. Yeah. They're absolutely delicious. Again, the owner is so, so fun to talk to. The South side is kind of like a mishmash of a whole lot of things. And you just 
get lost, quote unquote, and see where you end up. Mm. Yeah. So speaking of like where you end up, how'd you end up being a food stylist and culinary specialist at Better Homes and Gardens or doing what you do? Like, how was that journey? What was that process like? And to be completely honest with you, it was pretty much an accident. (laughs) And I started my internship kind of editing recipes on my computer. And as a senior in college or junior in college, I honestly can't remember. I had to work on the computer. My hours are flexible and I get paid for this. Like, okay, sign me up. I still get my weekends. That's amazing. So I did that. And that kind of got my foot in the door a little bit. At least then people kind of knew my name. So then I was kind of talking to my boss and I was just kind of like, hey, you need any help actually in the office? Like, you let me know. Downtown Des Moines is not far from my parents' house. Like, let's make this happen. (laughs) So uh, she's just kind of like, okay. So then she kind of threw me in with the sharks a little bit and I was just, kind of trying to figure things out for myself. And then I kind of got settled a little bit and she saw that I was doing pretty well, I think. So then I was like, hey, hey, you know, come May I graduate, no big deal. <laughs> like, would you guys, would you want me to come back? Or like, you know, how do we keep this momentum going? And it just so happened that another coworker of mine was going to retire later that year. So then I just kind of, slid into her position, which mm. just kind of worked out perfectly. So then I was in the test kitchen full time for a few years. And then I think she kind of noticed that like, I'm a little quirky. And I kind of had like this creative side of me. So then she threw me down in the photo studio to kind of assist other food stylists at the time. Mm-hmm. And I kind of picked up some neat tricks from them. And then I kind of started doing my own thing. And then I actually started by doing food videos for Better Homes and Gardens. It was hands-only, face was not in it. They didn't start off the best because it was kind of a learning experience for everyone. Mm -hmm. But it kind of pioneered into something amazing. And I've been food styling ever since. It's kind of be like four or five years now. I know it's been quite the adventure and everything was very unplanned and kind of accidental. And I kind of love where I am because of that. That's awesome. So now do you get to choose the recipes or how does, how does that go? Like, do you, do you just be like, I just want to make this. So let's make it. It, it kind of depends on the brand. A lot of them can be pretty collaborative and kind of talk about, you know, we have this image of what we want to show and what we want to photograph, you know, let's kind of talk about this. Let's brainstorm. Let's figure out what's going to look best. And other brands would be, most brands, I would say, would be like, here's a photo order, here's a list of recipes we want to shoot. And then they have like styling notes for the prop stylist and the art director, like we want to be a blue color palette and we want, you know, bronze silverware, let's not show wine, but bubble water is okay, single serving, full serving. And then it's up to me to make the food look as good as possible. Okay. So what kind of dishes do you, do you typically make? Oh my gosh, it's all over the board. I mean, I've done <laughs> lots of desserts, lots of kind of everything. I haven't, there isn't really a category I haven't tapped into yet. Let's just say I've kind of done it all. Do you have favorites and like least favorites? I hate food styling meat. 
Not my favorite. <laughs> what, what do you what, what do you mean my meat? Like like any and all like proteins or kind of it's just it's meat. Right. You know, it's just like <laughs> and meat in itself is can be very subjective. Like especially when it comes to like steaks. Some people yeah. will see a medium rare and be like, that looks fantastic. And then some other people will be like, that is disgusting. And it's <laughs> yeah, that's true. People get super opinionated about meat. Yeah. Right. That's fair. that's fair. I'm not saying I'm bad at it. It's, I'm not bad at styling meat. It's just one of those like being a very veggie full eater myself. It's not something that ever really appealed to me. Is there any dishes that you want to make like that you'd be like, oh, if there was an opportunity for you, like, all right, Sammy, whatever dish, no limitations, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. I love styling things that are very, when it comes to like main dishes, I love family style. I love the casualness it brings. Mm. I love things where it's like, it's kind of messy, but it's very fun. Like I've always wanted to shoot something of like, like I love the taco scene where it's kind of like you build it yourself, Mm -hmm. a little bit of this kind of, you customize it to your, your flavor profile. And it's like, to have like a whole fried red snapper in the center kind of like <laughs> digging into that and it's like it's messy but it looks but the messy is what makes it yummy kind of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. my favorite way to style i love that i i can understand that being a little bit risky for her. <laughs> but but yeah but like i personally i like that that sounds like a dream yeah a couple fried red snappers right in the center like eyeballs and all <laughs> and I have like a couple hands coming in there's a couple beers off to the side and it's just summer evening taco party with just like homemade tortillas and like salsas and everything like just the colors would be gorgeous the fish would be gorgeous the beers would be gorgeous like I think <laughs> it would be such a good time I feel like we need to make this happen yeah let's 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 do that let's pick a weekend We'll we'll figure out a way to do it. We we've got we gotta wait for the 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 fish truck to come in, of course. They had red snapper last time, didn't they, David? Yes, they they yeah. do bring that commonly. <laughs> that would be great. I would so amazing. I would kill for that right now. Maybe for for anyone out there who is like just embarking on this, like, hey, I need to learn how to cook. Is there any advice that you feel like you can give them in terms of some some basic understanding of of like what cooking actually is or like, how can they, what kind of lens can you give them to view food? The one advice I love to give people, especially like those that are kind of want to get a little more into cooking, but don't really know where to start because the culinary world is vast. I mean, you've got options everywhere and it can get overwhelming. And there's a lot of different ways to do things, but you don't you kind of don't know what's right or what's wrong, but the reality is there's not really a right or wrong for a lot of things. They're just different. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like my advice to you would just be like, start familiar. Start with something that you know the flavor profile of, something that you've eaten tons of times, something that you know if it's done wrong, you'd be able to recognize. Mm. Right. Okay. So whether if it's like eggs or chocolate chip cookies or mac and cheese, whatever, start familiar. And then once you have that down, that's going to be your standard. Mm-hmm. So let's say if you want to do chocolate chip cookies, you know, you're familiar with it, you know what it tastes like, you know, the texture of it. So you start there. And now that you have your standard of what a chocolate chip cookie is to you, then you start getting crazy. You start adding nuts to it. You start adding peanut butter. You start 
you know, maybe less sugar, maybe gluten-free, you start kind of tweaking things. And then the changes you make, you're going to compare to that standard. Mm-hmm. So then you know that, oh, this is, this is great. It tastes like, you know, a regular chocolate chip cookie, in my opinion, or, oh my gosh, this sucks. What was I thinking? <laughs> and then it's kind of like, when you fall back onto square one, you have this reference point that's like, this is what it should taste like to me. And when you start getting crazy, it's like, oh, this is so much better. I'm going to change my standard. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, this is horrible. I'm going back to my standard. So start familiar. That way you have something to fall back on and then get crazy. And then from there, you can go on to like, all right, so I kind of have this method down of how I like my cookies. Let's move on to a peanut butter cookie. Let's move on to like sugar cookies, cutouts maybe, and just kind of take your method and grow from there. Mm-hmm. But Bottom line is it's like, start familiar, start with something that you're comfortable with. Therefore, when you start to get crazy, you have something to compare it to. Cause it's like, if you get too crazy right off the bat, you're like, it's kind of good, but I don't really know. <laughs> I've never had this before. <laughs> I like it, I think. <laughs> I, I love that. That's, that's really good advice. Um, you mentioned, you know, having that, that familiar thing, having that standard and creating that standard. Do you, do you remember what that was for you? I used to eat box mashed potatoes like all the time. <laughs> They're good. <laughs> I'm like not proud of it, but I'm not embarrassed <laughs> of it either. <laughs> no, they can be, they're, they're delicious and they're easy. And like, it's, they're kind of magical. Like the idea yeah. that you can just take these flakes and then they turn into this like filling, satisfying, carby, buttery, if you add enough butter, like meal is... So that that's that's where you feel like you started was was box mashed potatoes. Kind of, yeah. And it's just like from there, it's like maybe I'll add garlic, but I'm nervous about adding garlic because this is so good on its own. And then I'll add garlic, and it's just like, oh shit, game changer! All right, this is my new standard. And then it's so, kind of like, so so okay, box mashed potatoes are 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 Sam level one. What what is what is what is mashed potatoes now? Oh my gosh, I love um, mashed potatoes when you use like the Yukon Golds or like the mm. red potatoes with the skin mm. on. Nice, the waxy ones, yeah. You can't mash them all the way. It's got to be a little chunky. Yeah. Mm. The, and it's like you got to add your milk or your cream. You've got to add butter and chives, salt, pepper, more butter, and like Lots all of, of the garlic, literally all of the garlic. And it's just like <laughs> once it's, it's like, you start mashing it together and if it starts to seize up, you just add more butter and it's just fine. You just don't even keep track of how much butter you add to it. And it's just like game changer. So nice. you, you totally like, you're like, I'm not even gonna listen to my dietetic teachings and just keep adding butter. It's, it's so funny you bring that up because there was, there was a class that a bunch of the food kids took at Iowa State. I don't remember what class it was, but it was, we were watching some video and the person on tv or on screen was cooking and she put like a whole stick of butter on something like a sauce or something like that and it's so funny because you could definitely tell who majored in what because all the dietetics kids were just like oh my god and all the culinary science kids were like yeah (laughs) yes Yes. i definitely knew where i stood after that moment yeah (laughs) yeah but i mean i i I feel like and I'd like to hear your, your opinion on this. Certain foods have become like villainized 
just because like either like the like the whole saturated fat or like the word fat do you see that there is like that you people should avoid those things because they are bad or is it just because the whole processing thing is different for me i'm very strong on like you can eat and cook and make whatever you want like everything is okay in moderation you know if you want to put a little pat of butter on your toast or your mashed potatoes like it's fine you don't have to beat yourself up for it but it's just like just understand moderation eat your veggies social media has a big impact on that i think unfortunately and it's just like i feel like now more than ever like myself would want to empower like the young women out there to just be like it's okay if you're not super skinny like Lizzo is a queen and she was a hundred percent insane that like, you got this, like mm-hmm. forget about what, how other people see you. What matters most is how you see you. And if butter on your toast makes you happy, then you go girl. <laughs> I'm sort of curious, like what is, what tends to be on your plate uh, more often than not? Like what, um, what are your kind of like go-to things that you end up cooking at home after a hard day's work? Well, eggs. Definitely eggs. Gotta have my eggs. Whether it's just like hard cooked eggs, scrambled eggs. I don't even care. If it's eggs, I'll eat it. What are your favorite dishes with eggs? Honestly, I kind of just love, like, I usually buy like two or three dozen eggs at a time. I'm crazy. I know. I do the same <laughs> thing. It's so fine. I'm, I'm, I have to have at least, like, if I'm down to one carton, that's where like the little like red light starts going off in my uh-huh. head. I'm like, I, I got to next time somewhere, I got to pick up another carton because I'm going to run out of eggs. Right. And uh, I usually come home and I steam a big batch of eggs. That's my preferred way of hard cooking eggs is in the mm. steamer. Seven and a half minutes into ice water. And they're like, perfect. Nice. It's like just almost over medium. They're perfect. And so I'll peel those and I keep those in the fridge for like, you know, on the go breakfast or like a snack when I'm hungry or not really hungry. Or we've all been through those moments of like, am I hungry or am I bored? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially now. Yeah. I'll drink a glass of water. It's like, nope, I'm hungry. <laughs> Eat an egg or two and just like, all right, that'll satiate me till later. Now, now that you like cook more, do you cook more for your family? Now that they have a better understanding of what I do, the short answer is yes, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Not necessarily because I want to, (laughs) but it's more or less, it's become a new expectation. Mm -hmm. It was kind of great. My birthday uh, was not too long ago and my family kind of stopped by. And they bought pizza, we had chicken wings, and it was kind of great. And I have this giant chalkboard in my kitchen that lists out the things we're eating this week. So on that Tuesday, I had chicken tacos, but they had bought pizza and everything. And they're like, oh, so were you supposed to eat chicken tacos today? And I said, yeah, that was, that was the plan, but you guys surprised me. And then they, they nonchalantly were like, well, you can still make them if you want. <laughs> all right, sure. So then I ended up whipping up the chicken tacos anyway, and then they ended up eating them all anyway. So it's like, okay. <laughs> wait, wait, I, I want to rewind a little bit and talk about this board that you have up. You, you say that you have like a chalkboard and you write down all of the meals that you're making during that week. Yep. That is very organized. <laughs> I, I, I can't like I try to plan ahead a little bit, but like, I, I mean, have you always been that way or is that like a new thing? 
that's a new thing. It started uh, during quarantine. And I just had to be a little bit more diligent about using the ingredients I had at home, mm-hmm. freezer and stuff like that. So it was easier for me to make less trips to the store because I knew what I already had. Mm-hmm. Right. So then I'll go through it week by week and I'll just be like, oh, I have some frozen chicken thighs. I can do chicken tacos on Tuesday. And then I have this pork butt that I can thaw over a course of a few days so I can roast it on this day. And you know, it's not every single day I list things, you know, three or four days out of the week. I just kind of want to better use the things I have at home just because it's, it's already here, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We just started doing that again. My, my wife essentially started me on that system where we like from Sunday lunch, dinner to Friday dinner, not to Saturday, we label breakfast, lunch, dinner, all the ingredients, what we're making, label them. And then we just, we, we'd done that for a couple of years, but now we quarantine kind of <laughs> took us away from that so opposite of you kind of like was like no we're oh, just gonna... okay before we got the news we kind of like figured like something was gonna happen so we went and bought groceries you know we got like ramen mac and cheese like things that are like really shelf life for we're not sure what was to come so that kind of went out the window because fresh ingredients were like now it's like that's perishable we need something just in case bad stuff happened so we just started going back to that so I think we we talked um, before this food memories and how food contains memories when you enjoy it. You know, I, I call it the the unknown flavor. You know, when you're enjoying something, you're taking in your environment. You know, usually what what makes food so enjoyable is that you're surrounded by people that you love or your friends, or you're in a complete different environment or an environment that feels warm. So, what's your favorite food memory, and why? Oh my gosh, I. <clears throat> I don't, I'm going to be honest. I, I can't really remember what foods I had growing up that brought the family to the table. I just remember that it did because as I was growing up again, it was just very like, oh, we're eating, you know, all of this old people food. It's like, <laughs> uh, like I'm eight or nine. I'd rather have a burger. See you guys later, you know, mm-hmm. hang out, talk about old people things. Like I'm going to be cool and watch Nickelodeon downstairs with my <laughs> It kind of all started for me when I started realizing it. It was just like, we would always have Sunday dinners here at my grandma's house who had said past 2010. So after my grandma had passed, those Sunday dinners stopped. Mm -hmm. Like every immediate family kind of started doing their own things. They have their own kids. Mm -hmm. They have their own dinner plans and everything like that. So my grandma was kind of like the glue to everything. She's the one that brought all of her kids and their kids together under one roof at least once a week just to reconnect and kind of not even for any purpose. It wasn't, we didn't go around the table and it's like, how was your day or how was work? It was just, it was just to be there. Mm-hmm. And since she's passed, I feel like everyone kind of lost touch. So then fast forward to maybe like five, six years ago, I ended up taking over my grandma's house, which is this house now. And it's now under my name. It's gone through so many renovations. And I told myself that like, at first I didn't want this house. It, it was, I wasn't rooted here. This is, this is grandma's house. It will always be grandma's house. That'll never change. It'll never feel like my own. And the more I thought about it, the more I'm just like, I can't, I can't really let this house go. 
you know, it just, I really am rooted here. And I didn't realize it back then. So with all the renovations, it feels a lot more like my own now. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing the whole Sunday dinners. I started bringing everybody back together and kind of reconnecting everybody like my grandma did back then. And it's like, it doesn't even matter what is on the menu. It could be takeout. It could be a roast. It could be pasta. Like what the food is doesn't matter. It's just regardless of what we're eating today, it just, it brings everybody there regardless mm-hmm. of what it is. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the unknown flavor that's over everything for me. Yeah. And it's like, I can't remember what it is I ate or who made what, but I remember how it made me feel. And that's the important part to me. Thanks everyone for listening. You can find more from Sammy Mila on Instagram at S-A-M-M-Y-M-I-L-A underscore D-S-M. But be warned, you might get hungry. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at wearebeyondhungry at gmail.com or reach out to us on social at wearebeyondhungry on Instagram and on Facebook. Music is by our good friend, Bo Brenton. You can follow him at B-E-A-U-B-R-E-N-T-O-N and give him a nice congratulations because he just got engaged. Yes, congrats, Bo. If you like this podcast, follow us or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and now on Google Podcasts. And if you're feeling generous, give us a rating or write us a review. You don't get anything if you do. We're not at that stage yet, but we'd really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye-bye.